Luke 7. We've said the central question in Luke 7 asked by John the Baptist, Jesus, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Beginning of Luke 7, we have two miracles. I said that they were, I feel like Luke put them there to demonstrate that Jesus is in fact the one. He's laying a foundation for the answer to that question, is Jesus the one or should we expect someone else? Those miracles demonstrate Jesus' authority, his power, and that he's motivated by compassion. Last week we looked at uh, Jesus talking about John the Baptist, we said the takeaway for us is can Jesus be the one when he doesn't meet our expectations of how the one should act? Can Jesus still be the one? Can he still be the one sent by God to make all things right when he doesn't meet our expectations? At some point in your life, you're going to have to wrestle with that question personally. Is Jesus who he says he is even when he's not acting the way I think he should in my life. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to look at an example of Jesus as the one, even though he is not meeting popular expectations. So we're going to start in verse 36 of chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, excuse me, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So here's the picture. Jesus is in Nain. That's where he raised this boy from the dead. He's still in that same town, a Pharisee in the town named Simon. Just to remind you, Pharisees are the most popular religious leaders of the day, very strict in their observance of the law. They have a very um, clean line, or I would say, yeah, very clear line between clean and unclean, and they saw themselves as really the protectors of the people. So Simon invites Jesus to his house for a banquet, and it would look something like this. So you would eat at a U-shaped table on these couches. You're laying on your left side and eating with your right hand, which seems incredibly difficult to do, but that's what they did. And so your feet are hanging off behind you, so when this woman comes in, she's got easy access to Jesus' feet. He doesn't have to push his chair out or anything like that. So there's a woman in the town. She's a prostitute. That's most likely what's going on there. Her sins are known in the town. So she's a prostitute, she's uninvited, party crasher, whatever you want to call her. She comes in, and then this scene unfolds. So she, again, has access to Jesus' feet. She walks up behind him. 
She begins weeping, so we've got sound. She lets her hair down. That, for us, an equivalent act would be if a woman took her shirt off. That's an equivalence in terms of the, um, what do you want, the seductiveness of that act. That's not why she was doing it, but it would have scandalized the men. They would have been going, what is going on here? Then she opens this jar of perfume, pours it on his feet. You've got the smell. And then we have Simon going, what exactly is happening? Now, I don't know, many of you have heard this story. I don't know if you've ever tried to visualize being there. In my mind, I sometimes see Jesus' feet kind of like that. Like, I know he's a man, but he's perfect. And so I'm kind of, all right, maybe his feet are clean and manicured and they don't smell so bad. His feet are probably more like those on the right than the ones on the left. You're talking about walking in sandals on dusty roads. You've got animals and their byproducts everywhere. And he comes in. Now, you imagine yourself getting down putting your face in those and crying over those and wiping those with your hair. That's what this lady does. That's the banquet's over at that point. Everybody's, what is happening here? Simon, I think, as the host, is calling time out. I don't know why he invited Jesus to his house. Here's my theory. You can... Decide if you like it. In chapter 6, verse 11, we read that the Pharisees, Simon's part of that group, they've decided Jesus is not a prophet. He's a false prophet. He's a heretic. He's a blasphemer. He needs to be done away with. But then in Simon's town, Jesus raises a boy from the dead. And everyone in his town is saying, here's a great prophet. So Simon has two conflicting pieces of information. He's got his colleagues who are saying Jesus is a false prophet, and he has... Dozens and dozens of people in his town, maybe hundreds, who are saying Jesus is a great prophet because he raised someone from the dead, and that's, that's not nothing. And so maybe Simon is an independent thinker. He has Jesus come to his house because he wants to investigate for himself, and let's see what actually is going on with this guy. And so he, I, I think he's open-minded at least to a degree. And then this woman comes in, and this scene unfolds, and he decides in that moment Jesus isn't a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, then he would know this is a prostitute who's touching him. And we all know, you don't do that. Clean and unclean do not mix. Or, if he knows she's a prostitute, he's letting her touch him anyway. And clean and unclean don't mix. So either he's not a prophet or he's not righteous. But either way, he's not one to be trusted. He's not a great prophet, for sure. He would not allow this woman to touch him. It's ironic that in the very moment Simon decides Jesus is not a prophet, Jesus tells Simon what Simon is thinking. He says, he perceives his thoughts. Your translation may say that. Jesus perceives his thoughts and says, Simon, I'm going to tell you a story. And in this story, I'm going to explain everything to you. So Simon has just decided Jesus is not a prophet. Then Jesus reads his mind and says, here's what's going on in your head. And he tells a story of two guys that owe money. One guy owes 50 denarii, that's two months' salary. One guy owes, owes 500, that's 20 months' salary. If you think about what you make in a month, multiply that by two, multiply that by 20. Neither one of the guys has enough money to pay off their debt. And the lender forgives them both. And Jesus says to Simon, well, who's going to love him or be more grateful towards this lender, the guy who owes two months' salary 
for the guy who owes 20 months? It's an obvious answer. If Ruth Allen owes me $10 and I say, don't worry about it, she's going to be grateful. If she owes me $1,000 and I say, don't worry about it, she's going to do a backflip. There's a big difference between those two things. It's an obvious answer. Well, the one who owed the most money, and Jesus says, you're right, 100%. And then he makes the application. Here's what's going on. So... In the middle, that was customary. So if someone came to your house, not necessarily super extra special guest, but someone who you were glad to receive, customary but not required, you would do those things in the middle. Recognize they're coming in off a dusty street. You either give them a bowl of water and let them wash their own feet, or if you happen to have a servant, you would let the servant wash their feet. You'd give them a kiss on the hand or on the cheek. I wouldn't do that if you came to my house, but customary greeting is that's what they would do. Oil on the forehead, olive oil. So it's dry, it's dusty, your skin gets kind of cracked. Think about it like lotion. You're putting lotion on someone's forehead because they're uncomfortable. That was just a customary and normal way of greeting. Simon is less than that. Jesus says, you didn't do anything. No water, no kiss, no oil. You didn't do any of the things that are customary in terms of greeting, this lady, she goes way over to the other end. She's extravagant in the way she treated me. She, the water is her tears. She hasn't stopped kissing me. And she didn't just use common household olive oil. She used this expensive perfume. Her love was very extravagant. Simon, on the other hand, yours is, doesn't really even reach the level of customary in terms of your expression towards me and then he says to this lady so everybody can hear i think this he this woman has encountered jesus before this is not the first time that they've met and he wants to make sure everybody knows what's going on he's previously forgiven her that's why she's coming to him she's coming to express her thanks for being forgiven she's not forgiven because of this extravagant display of love this extravagant display of love is a result of her having been Forgiven. It's not the basis of it, but an expression of it. She hears Jesus is back in town, and so she comes to express her gratitude to him for what he's done for her. And then he publicly says the things that he has said to her privately. Your sins are forgiven. They were already forgiven, but he wants everybody to know because everybody knows she's a prostitute. And he wants to make sure everybody knows it's forgiven. Cleanse. Your faith has healed you, just like for everybody else. Faith is what. Is the way we access the grace of God. Now go in peace. You're reconciled to God. That's what peace means. So whatever you were formerly, whatever you were known as in the town, as this prostitute, that's no longer who you are. You, you are now reconciled. You're a daughter of God. And Jesus wants to make sure everybody knows that. So what does that look like for us walking away? Obvious question. Do you relate more to Simon or to the woman? If I make you choose, and I'm going to, do you relate more to Simon or to the woman? Are you a $50 guy or are you a $500 guy when you think about your debt? I want you to answer that in your heart. I won't make you raise your hand, but I want you to answer that question in your heart. Simon, the woman, $50 guy, $500 guy. So thinking about that, in one sense it doesn't matter. If you owe 50 or you owe 500, according to Jesus in the parable, nobody can pay their debt back. That's what he says. The guy who owed two months, the guy who owed 20 months, neither one of them had enough money to pay the debt back. And that's our situation. Regardless of 
how much I think I owe God, regardless of how much debt I've incurred because of my sinfulness. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And he doesn't take our money. It's, you can't use pesos at Marietta Pizza. They're not going to take it. The currency doesn't work. Our righteousness is filthy rags. He doesn't, he's not, whatever it is that we're doing to try to um, handle, to take care of our debt, he's not accepting that. If it's good works, if it's religious work, if it's abstaining from bad things, whatever it is that in your mind you're doing to say, I'm working this off, I'm trying to get out of the hole, I'm trying to get out of the red, he doesn't receive that. So in that sense, we're all in the same boat. Whether we see ourselves more like Simon or more like the woman, we all have a debt that we can't pay. We all need the grace of God in order to be clean. I do think there's some pretty significant differences between the $50 and the $500 person. And I think it's helpful to know which way you lean towards. I 100% am a $50 guy. Like between those two, I'm Simon all day long. I became a Christian when I was 12, and I pretty much was a goody two-shoes all the way through. I don't have this, I don't have this wreck of a story. And When I think about salvation, I think about it in two ways. What have I been saved from and what have I been saved for? When I think about what I've been saved from, when I was 12, I lied a little bit to cover myself. My brother's younger than me. He's more emotional than me, and so I would tee him up just to watch him melt down. And I cussed in the sixth grade. That's what I did. Like, that was it. One year of cussing. Like, I, that's what I think about. I was still, I, was, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. All of those things were true. I had a debt that I couldn't pay. I was 12 at the time. Like, if I look back on my life, I don't have a lot of major regrets. I don't feel, and it's not anything great about me at all. It's just the reality of the life that I lived. I was in Nicaragua about a month ago, and one of the guys who helps our team, his name was Jesse, and he became a Christian later in life. He's in his late 40s. He became a Christian in his early 40s, and his life is way different than mine. He'd been in jail for attempting to take someone's life, and he tried to join a gang. He'd been a crack addict for like 31 years. Our stories don't line up at all. He's a $500 guy, and when you talk to him, this he's the guy He's on his feet, crying, wiping feet, wiping feet with his hair. Like, that is him. He knows what he's been saved from. He lived in misery for decades. And when Jesus saved him, he has a very clear picture of what life was like before and what life is like after. Neither one of us is better than the other. There's some things that are great about being a $50 guy, and there's some things that are difficult, and there's some things that are great about being a $500 person, and there's some things that are difficult. Again, it's just helpful to know kind of where you land. If you're a $50 guy like me, what tends to happen is our love towards Jesus, and this is harsh, tends to look a bit more like Simon's. We don't necessarily feel like God saved us from much. We know that we were sinners. We know that God saved us. We couldn't have done it on our own. But because our life wasn't ever necessarily a train wreck, Sometimes there's a lack of gratitude there, if I can say it that way. We're not necessarily going to gush when it comes to our love towards him. When it comes to being saved for something, a lot of the $50 guys, they're like, we're, we're on that. 
Like in my mind, I'm like, well, of course he's got something for me to do. I'm awesome. Like, why wouldn't he give me something? Absolutely. Some of that could be I'm full of myself. And I think some of it, though, is I don't have, again, a lot of regrets. I don't have a lot of scars that I think would disqualify me from service. If there's an opportunity, I'll raise my hand and say, absolutely, I think God can use me to do fill in the blank. I don't have a lot of hesitation. Again, it's not because I'm great. I think it's because I just don't have a lot of scars that would cause me to say, I'm not sure that I can do this. Uh, I'm not sure I'm worthy of stepping into this situation. So if you're a $50 guy like me, on one hand, positive, the saved for, like you get that. I'm saved for the glory of God. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. He wants to use me to bless others. I get that. The save from may be a little bit more difficult. Absolutely, I've been forgiven. Absolutely, I've been rescued. But the pit wasn't really that deep. And so sometimes my love can be a bit um, shallow, if I can say it that way. If you're on the other end and you're a $500 person, the love part, the gratitude part, the thankfulness part, a lot of times that's just welling up within you. You are so grateful for the grace and mercy of God because you know how much of a wreck your life was before he rescued you. But sometimes for you, when it moves over into that next piece, what am I saved for? There's a bit of hesitation. Well, I'm not sure that I'm qualified for that. I feel like because of what I've done in my past, I can't really express ministry in this way. I don't feel like it's my place. I'm not sure that God wants to use me in that way. There can be a hesitancy. Maybe you're that whole idea of being washed white as snow. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm kind of off-white a little bit. It's not fully cleansed for me. I recognize maybe God sees me that way, but that's not how I see myself or how other people see me. And it can cause you to pull back in ministry a bit. So if you're a $500 person, the save from, you probably get, save for, may be a bit more difficult for you. Wherever you fall on that, the response is the same, or the growth point for us is the same. It's to say, I need to focus on the love of God. I don't need to focus on my sinfulness. I don't need to try to create some dramatic testimony. I don't need to get on the front page of the paper because of my fantastic sinfulness to then say, oh, now I know what it's like to be rescued. That's not the solution. In Romans 6, somebody says that to Paul. Where where sin increased, grace abounds. And so somebody says, well, should we just keep on sinning then so we can receive more grace? And Paul says, that's ridiculous. You're dead to sin. The point is not for me as a $50 guy to try to up the ante on my sin so I can be rescued from a deeper hole. As a $50 guy, what I need to say is, God, expand my capacity to comprehend your love for me. Height, width, breadth, depth. That's what I want. Rather than focusing on my perceived lack of sinfulness or the triviality of the sins that I've committed, trying to make those, that's not helpful. What I'm going to say is, God, help me comprehend your love for me on a deeper and fuller level. And that will motivate me to love you extravagantly focusing on sin doesn't help anybody do anything focusing on his love that's the key if you're a 500 dollars person and it's difficult for you to step out think of this woman jesus had to publicly say she's not a prostitute anymore that's not how you see her that's not how i see her 
She is at peace with God. She is reconciled to God. She's a daughter of God. If you feel like that public peace is what's difficult for you, stepping into good work, stepping into calling, stepping into service, it's the same thing for you. You don't focus on your sinfulness. You don't focus on your past. You don't focus on what you've done or haven't done. You focus on this great love that God has for you. And as you ask him to increase your capacity to comprehend the width and breadth and height and depth of his love, what that will do is you will say, you know what? Someone who loves me that much, I am fully forgiven and I can be used. For neither, nobody focuses on their sin. Again, that doesn't help us move forward for either whatever camp you're in. You ask the Lord, increase my capacity to love you. And as you do that, and as you also ask him to increase your understanding of his love for you, then the response will move more and more towards this woman. Let's pray. We're going to do two things. First is we're all going to pray. And so you're just going to follow along with me. I would encourage you to do that. So if you're Simon, if you're like me, if you're a $50 guy, and you don't want to respond to Jesus in a paltry way, let me encourage you to pray along with me. God, I confess that when I look back, there's not a whole lot there. I know that you've rescued me 100%. I know that I had a debt that I couldn't pay. But honestly, it doesn't feel like very much. Particularly if I look out, if I look around, if I listen to other people's stories, and then I look at mine in comparison, and I'm kind of going, there's not a lot there. So one, Lord, I want to acknowledge your grace and your mercy in my life, and I want to thank you for that. And God, I also want to acknowledge that sometimes my love towards you looks a whole lot like Simon and not very much like that woman. When I think about burn like a fire in me, it's a long way from where my heart is often. And so I'm asking you to increase my capacity to comprehend your great love for me. I don't exactly know what that looks like, but as much as I can, I want to know the full dimensions, the height and width and breadth and depth of this great love that you have for me. Trusting that as I understand that on a deeper and deeper level, that understanding will fuel a response of extravagance, that I'll move from paltry to extravagant. That when I say, burn like a fire in me, I really mean it. And you'll be doing that in my heart. Now, if you're a $500 person, God, I thank you so much for rescuing me. I recognize the pit that I was in. Apart from you, I may literally be dead. I thank you so much for saving me. God, my desire is that you would use me as well. And I would not allow condemnation from the enemy. I would not allow my reputation 
in this community to keep me from stepping fully into your calling on my life. I recognize that when you look at me, what you see is pure and holy and spotless, without stain, without fault, without wrinkle. I'm white as snow, not off-white. You've removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. God, I say moving forward, I'm not going to allow my past to define me. I recognize that you have good works for me to do. And whatever those are, I say yes to them. I'm not going to live in the shadows. I'm not going to stay in the back of the bus. I recognize that you didn't just save me from a train wreck. You saved me for your glory and to participate with you in the advancement of your kingdom. And so I want to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on, but two things particularly. One I was thinking of, and this is probably a very small a group of people. I was thinking about the response to this lady coming into the banquet and Simon going, this is, this is not good, and wondering about what all of the other people in the banquet were thinking and what that caused them to think of Jesus. Like what kind of guy would allow this kind of woman to interact with him on that level? Now, I was thinking about me and what, like I would have had to leave the room. It would have made me so uncomfortable to witness all of that. But I was thinking about grace, and at some point, do I say there's a line, and God's grace only extends so far? And there's specific people, that, like, they're outside the reach. They're beyond his ability to uh, redeem. I would actually be offended if I knew, fill in the blank, had responded positively to Jesus, and he was drawing them in that he was responding graciously to them instead of punishing them. If I'm saying that, if there's a face or a name that runs through your mind, we want to pray for you about that. At some point, that's going to be a pretty big issue for you because you're putting limits on the grace of God, and that's no good. You don't want that in your own life, and you for sure don't want that in the lives of others. And the second thing has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about. I was thinking about that song, For the Sake of the World, and I want to pray specifically for, for people who would say there's a group, a, a people group, and I feel called to them. It may be another nation. It may not be. It may be women who've had abortions, high school seniors. I don't know, but you know in your heart God has called you to a specific group of people, and we want to pray that you would be effective in your outreach to them. So those two things specifically we want to close with. Uh, in prayer, you guys can stand, ministry teams, if y'all would come forward, and Bo will dismiss us after this song.